the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The law and the gospel. It is a rather convoluted issue that many folks still find themselves scratching their heads over. We're making sense of it all as we explore Paul in his book of Romans. That's next. We find Christ in the heart of the law. We also find Christ as the end of the law. So which is it? Or is it both? And if so, how? Welcome to Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose and online at reformedheritage.org. Today, we are in chapter 10 of Romans, the first nine verses, Christ, the end of the law for righteousness. But does that mean the law is of no effect? Well, that is what we're exploring today, the symbiotic relationship between Christ and the law and how it all flushes out here in God's Word. Let's catch up with Pastor Gary Wagner now as we explore Romans chapter 10 together here on Abounding Grace. We ought to be very humbled, according to verse 1, by Paul's heart for the Jews. They were his countrymen, to be sure, And we all have a certain affinity for those who are like us. But they treated Paul very badly. They persecuted him, stoned him, chastened him. And he would have had, when he had success in one place, then they would chasten him and torture him in the next place. Yet notice here the desire of his heart. In Greek, eudokia, the good wish, the true and sincere passion of his life, as well as his prayer was that Israel might be saved. Well, this is, this is remarkable because he just said in chapter 9 that not all Israel is Israel, that there is a remnant according to the election of grace, but the majority at least as God has revealed it to us, was rejected because not not the children of the flesh, but the children of promise who who are the true heirs. Yet with all the decrees of God that Paul firmly believed, he knew that the external destiny of men is up to God, that it is not up to us to say, well, I think you're a reprobate, So I'm not going to shed a tear for you. I think you are one of the cursed, therefore I'm not going to pray for you. And Paul knew all of that. Paul knew that election, predestination, reprobation, who God loves, who God hates, that is all his dealings. Our part is to be broken when we see men destroying their lives, their families, their societies, by disobedience and rebellion. 
So we ought to take note of this, that we are never more like Christ than when our heart beats as did Paul's heart. We are never more like Christ when we pray for our enemies. Do you have any enemies? Maybe you have some in your extended families. Maybe people who think you're crazy for your beliefs. Maybe someone who you have a strong disagreement with. Do you pray for your enemies? How about those who curse you? Who kind of look down their noses at you? Who think you're just two crayons short of a 24-pack? Or someone who might have said a few choice words to you. Do you bless them? Some will think, I think you are the worst bigot there is. Do you respond? Well, I love you and I pray God will have mercy on you. And not said with some lofty, arrogant attitude, but from a true desire of your heart to see God save sinners. Now, there are all kinds of reasons men lose the heart to hear God's word. One of them here seems to be God's judicial hardening. Because even though our histories are short, and we tend to date modern events from the election of Reagan, as if we entered into the promised land in the 1980s, that's not how God measures history. God remembers all the preachers that he sent here. God remembers all the forefathers who taught their children in his ways. But men turn away. And then God plugs their ears. And there is nothing we can do to unplug men's ears when God has plugged them. There is nothing. But we can pray. And we can have a sincere heart of love to share God's truth like Paul did. Notice Paul didn't say, I went to one synagogue and you said some pretty mean things against me. So I'm just going to take my ball and I'm going to go home. No, he went to the next one and the next one and the next one. Because he knew God does have his people out there. Even in that apostate mass of Jews. I don't know who they are. It's not my business. My business is to share with others the great things God has done for my soul. I'm not the judge. I'm just the herald. I'm just the messenger. I wonder if on our own land, the outward perception of the church is that, is that we are more of the, and it's not just us, but conservative Christianity as, as a whole, we're just the type that call down fire from heaven to destroy them. I mean, those fools, haven't they read Calvin? Haven't they read the Puritans? No. Don't they care? No. Would we care if it were not for God's grace in our lives? No. So what are we supposed to do? Paul said, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. I thought the Israelites were wicked. They were. I thought they killed the Lord of glory. They did. I thought the United States and its leadership legalized abortion. They did. I thought they were allowing perverts to get married. 
They are. There's increasing pressure and religious persecution of the psychological variety that Christians must deal with today. Is that not the land we're living in at the present? Well then, Lord, we're going to wipe off the dust of our feet, and we're going to go live in our enclaves, and the hell with everyone else. But Paul had it worse than we have ever had it here. And he said, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Now, interestingly about Israel, that is one of the things we're supposed to pray for, according to our confession. And, of course, following the apostles' example, Lord, save the Jews. Life from the dead. To see the Jewish people in mass forsaking their idols, forsaking the vanity of Judaism, and embracing their lawful king and their only savior. So if nothing else to begin with, we need kind of a little gut check here. Do people say in your office, that man's a Christian? And he's a man of principle, and he doesn't even cuss. But boy, every time I do, he does say something. And I feel like daggers are coming right at me. Or he's just back there smugly thinking, yes, of course, you're an idiot. You know you're an idiot. I know you're an idiot. We all know you are an idiot. Is that the way that we are to respond? Well, that won't be terribly attractive to others, will it? It won't be terribly winsome for people who look at those who profess the name of Christ to be known as hard and mean. You better be careful, beloved, that you cross every T and dot every I just right, or they'll be glad to let you know it. But have you ever told these people that are not crossing their T's And dotting their eyes, how God has saved you. I mean, it doesn't do any good to rail on the blind for being blind. What we must do is pray for our hearts to be like the Savior's heart. He forgave his enemies while even on the cross. He did good to those who hated him. He prayed. Now granted, he had a specific love. And he knew things that we will never know, but we are to follow his example. Now he says, the best that can be said of the Jews in verse 2, I bear them record that they have a zeal of God. The word zeal here can be either positive or negative, and it depends on the subject that one is zealous for. It depends on what your motivation is. Here the Jews are said to be zealous for God, and that is very true. Their religious institutions, their family piety, their legal systems, in all of these things they had a zeal for God. They were very passionate about Him. But notice what it says. But not according to knowledge. Here I think knowledge should probably be interpreted as being equivalent to God's truth or God's word. In other words, they were zealous, 
but it was totally misguided because it wasn't guided by God's word. Now, Jesus said of the Jewish leaders that there was never a worse bunch of hypocrites that ever lived, from Matthew 23. But among the common folk, undoubtedly some of them were very sincere in what they believed and were following the practices of the scribes and the rabbis. But notice, sincerity, if it is cut from God's word, it will only, it will only make you a bigot. It will only make you censorious, judgmental, hardened in your views that will be wrong. But at least you'll be sincere about them. This is why we need to test all of our alliances. Many of you have alliances to sport teams. Many of you have alliances to a certain breakfast every morning. More seriously, we have alliances to philosophies or religious traditions. Now here we have to be careful. Because just because I'm zealous for something does not make it good and profitable. In fact, the Israelites' zeal ruined them and brought judgment to them and to their nation because it was not according to God's truth, which teaches us we need to make sure we test all of our allegiance by God's holy word. Because just because we are zealous for this form of medicine or this historical person or this doctrine, again here, we are not God, so our zeal to be good, it has to, be, it has to borrow from God's word or it just goes astray. Let me give you four marks of godly zeal, which you ought to strive for in your own life. Don't think of zeal just as, hey, you know, I like to march around and wave the American flag. That's just one kind of zeal. Sometimes zeal is just quiet. Sometimes it's a smoldering passion. But how do we know whatever form the zeal takes that it is good? One, that our hearts are held captive to God's word. Because anything we are zealous for is going to go astray unless it is governed by, guided by, strengthened by, led by what God has spoken to us. And by the way, that can be true of even lesser things. Like you might be zealous for the San Francisco Giants. I used to be very jealous for them until all of baseball became social activism. Now, I am interested still even in baseball today. It's always been my favorite sport. But the point is, I realize this zeal, which is a secondary trifling, was interfering with other things that are more important. So I don't watch the game every night or even every other night or even once a week, probably not even once a month. Why? Because our zeals, our loves, our passions need to be put in the light of eternity. You're not going to carry any sports team with you into the heavens. You're not going to even carry a BMW with you into heaven or any hobbies or any golf clubs or even the perfect home. Yet we focus on these things. 
that are very short duration. Whereas our lives, they stretch out into eternity. So we need to make sure our zeals are held captive by God's word. And two, then we must be studying scripture daily as the food and the drink of our soul. Or again, our zeal is going to go astray. And when we study, we need to be praying, Lord, please guide me. Because the Jews, they had the scriptures, but they missed the point in them. Because they missed Christ in them. So as we try to have a heart that's held captive by God's word, we need to make, we need to make sure we study and meditate on God's word daily. If you're not doing this, don't be surprised if your life is a wreck and be worried if it's not. I mean, if you're not meditating on Scripture, even with everything else that's going on around us, we will not be able to be guided by God. We must be listening to His Word and walking in His path. Or we're not going to be strengthened to be faithful in a good thing. How often have we said, okay, beginning tonight... We will have family worship. Beginning today, no more large bowls of ice cream. Every day, or whatever it might be for you, important things and small things. But what do we do? Three days later, a week later, a month later, we stop doing family worship. And we begin gorging ourselves again with ice cream. Because dust, that you and I, have no strength. Unless dust eats God's word. That's you and me. So you can make the best resolutions in the world. You can purpose the best things in this world and say, yes, I'm going to do this. I want my children to be like this. I want them to have a Christian education. I want them to do this, and I want to do that, and it's all good, and you're zealous for it, but whammo, all the energy goes away. Why? Because if it is a righteous zeal, God will teach us that it is He who has to sustain it. Sustain it. We can't. And the way He sustains it is by every word that has come out of His mouth. So we know we have a righteous zeal if we have a heart held captive to Scripture, number one. Number two, studying scripture, meditating upon it is daily food and drink. And three, everything we seek in those scriptures relates to God. We see Christ throughout scripture. You see, this is what we have often forgotten today as Christians. So I come and I hear a sermon, two or three or four or five great points, whatever it may be. And I get an emotional infusion of energy from this guy that I've just been sucking the life out of. But it doesn't last. Because there's only one vine. And that is Christ. So we have to draw from Him. We have to see Him in Scripture and every part of it. Is there a law? Jesus said, I alone have kept it. And if you want to obey the Father like I did, you have to seek strength from me. Is there a promise? 
It is yes in Jesus, so I have to seek its fulfillment in my life from Him. Father, fulfill this promise, not because I deserve it. Protect me, not because I deserve it. Provide for me, not because I deserve it, because your Son does. So then Scripture becomes alive to us. Because we're seeing it in its proper connection to Jesus Christ. Because he, beloved, is the living word. He is the yes and the amen of God. That is why Paul told the Corinthians, I don't want to know anything else among you except Christ and him crucified. Now that's a big subject. Because we can talk about Christ. We can talk about his reign over men and nations. But still everything, business, politics, education, whatever it may be, your family life comes back to this. If I don't know it through the lens of Christ, if I'm not seeking grace from Christ each day to teach my children, to discipline my children wisely, to set a godly example for my children, if I'm not drawing that from Jesus, I may be a good moralist and it may last for a little while, And everything may be in good order for a time, but I have, but if I have drawn it from the living bread, my children, my wife, my husband, unbelievers, my family, they may say, wait a minute, this isn't just something we decided to do because we think this works. But you know what everyone thinks today? Okay, well, fine, if it works for you then do it. But for me, ah. No, that is not why we do the things we do as Christians. Because they work for us. We're not pragmatists. The reason we do these things is because we are drawing these things from Christ. That living vine. The food and the drink of our soul. The living bread. The light of the world. The resurrection. The life. The one who was dead but who is now alive forevermore. So if we are going to be zealous for a good thing, and if that zeal is going to be sustained, it cannot be like the Jews, because they didn't see Christ in the Scriptures. They had all kinds of rigid morals, and most everything and most everyone fit into them. And if you didn't, you were considered a hypocrite or a blasphemer or unworthy of our attention. But it was lifeless. It turned them into hypocrites because they didn't see Christ and they didn't draw from him, even in the Old Testament. And he was there aplenty in the Old Testament. But they didn't draw from him. So for us, we want to be zealous. We want to fall under this condemnation. Oh yeah, they're real zealous for themselves. Oh, yeah, they're real zealous for their particular agendas, their particular paradigms. But are these things being measured by Scripture? Do they draw their life and strength from God's Word? And specifically, do they promote, do they unfold the unsearchable riches of Christ? Well, for now, we'll stop at these three marks of good zeal. But we need to make sure that we have this kind of zeal. And only God can give this to us, beloved. He says in verse 3, perhaps the worst thing that can be said about the Jews, that they were ignorant of God's righteousness. 
I've been just a little shocked about this all week, this particular line. How could the Jews be ignorant of, ignorant of God's righteousness? This is just a bit unfathomable to me. Just think of this one thing. This happened a lot. Thousands of times. Every time the throat of a bull, a goat, a lamb was slit. And they all saw this. They all had to go to the temple. And every time the throat was slit and the blood flowed, what was God telling them? You are not righteous. I am. And the only way to have communion with me is if someone dies in your place. Well, this has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. As we have closed out our time together today, I would remind you that our desire is to know how this program encourages you in Christ. Now, there are a couple of three ways that you can contact us to provide us with this information. And again, it would really encourage us a great deal if you take a moment and let us know how the program is encouraging you in your walk and relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's how to contact us. Phone number is 408 408- Eight six six five six zero seven. That's four zero eight eight six six five six zero seven. Our website, where you can drop us an email and even learn a bit more about us, is reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, you can write to us at PMB. That stands for Post Mailbox Number four zero two fourteen eighty four Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California. The zip code is nine five zero three two. Now, there is another way you can contact us, and this would be the best of all, especially if you're not involved in a church at this time. Plan on visiting. Let us uh, fellowship face-to-face, as it were. We meet at Lone Hill Church 2 in the afternoon on Sundays at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org, or by calling 408-866-5607. By the way, copies of the broadcast are just $5. Mention today's date when you contact us, and we'll get a CD out to you right away. Thank you for joining us today. Until next time, God bless. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com.